If you have your Bibles, open it to Matthew chapter 28. My first memories of Easter weren't very good. My parents would wake us up to go to a sunrise service, but it seemed like the sun was never up. It was overcast, it was cold. We went to the Hollywood Bowl, and this guy spoke in Latin, I think. I don't know, because I didn't speak the language. And I just remember freezing. I remember my, my feet were freezing, and I also remember complaining a lot. That's what kids do. We're, we're good at it. And that was my thoughts of Easter. We'd go there, and, you know, I remember there was flowers, I think, but I just remember being cold and not, like, is it done yet? I was like, are, you know, are we there yet? Are we there yet? It's like, is this over? Can, can we please get out of this torture right now? And I, I hope that's not your experience this morning. <laughs> I'm feeling the same thing. I feel your pain. And finally, we would get out of there, and I'd get a cup of hot chocolate, and I would think this cup of hot chocolate was not worth that. I'd rather have been in my bed. And my whole thought is, what is this for? Oh, my gosh. You know, this is what Easter is about. I don't get it. And I know a lot of times that's kind of the perception that we have, is that it's what does this have to do with me? What does Easter have to do with my life in a relevant way and the things that I'm dealing with, where I'm at, what's it have to do with me? And, and I hope that we can make that clear. I hope I can try and bring out the purpose of this this morning. In Matthew chapter 28, I want to start at verse 8, and I'm going to read down to verse 10, and then we're going to jump down to the very end. It says, so... The women hurried away from the tomb, afraid, yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. This is after they see that the tomb was empty and an angel appeared to them. Greetings, he said. And they came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. Jump down now to verse 16. And, and the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. Thomas, Thomas. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. In this account, in Matthew's Gospel, when Jesus appears, he makes some powerful statements. This is a brief example. John's goes into more detail as well as Luke's, and then it continues in the book of Acts, talking about how he was seen by over 500 people at a time, how he traveled on the road to Emmaus with two of the disciples, how he appeared in the room and made himself known personally to Thomas, who doubted. But in this account, we have a little synopsis of some of the things that he did and said. And one of the things that he says here is that all authority is given to me in heaven 
and in earth. A lot of times we think, well, yeah, Jesus has been given authority, but it's in heaven because in the earth right now, you know, I just am not seeing the authority. I mean, we've got governments in charge. We've got all kinds of just evil taking place in our world today. How is the authority of God seen here in our world today? And a lot of times our idea of life is limited. We're, we're nearsighted and God is speaking in eternal ways. And we see this much of a picture that is so big. When Jesus spoke of life, he spoke of it in two terms. He spoke of it in longevity, length, and he also talked about quality. And first I want to look at just the longevity of life. And some of these things you're familiar with. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Eternal life is longer than 60, 70, 80 years by a few. It goes on and on and on, and it's hard for us to grasp eternity. We talked Friday how in Ecclesiastes 3, God has placed eternity in our hearts, that we actually can think about something that is bigger than our ability to understand, which is an interesting thing, that we have a concept of eternity even though we are limited. And so Jesus talks in this passage about giving us an eternal life, a life that does not end. It also says in John 14, 3, if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. So he's talking about, again, coming back, receiving us to be with him. He's talking about a a different place going on this life past what we experience and know now. And, and that's great. I mean, it's, we all hope for these things, but we need evidence of these things. We need substance that there is an eternity. Another thing that Jesus spoke about was the quality of life. In John 10.10, he says... I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. Some translations will say abundant or in fullness, complete. So the purpose that I came is that you would be filled. You would have a life that is full, a life that is abundant, a life that is complete. It's speaking of a quality of life, not just a length of life, but a type of life. It also says in Mark, 8, 36, and 37, what good is it for a man to gain the whole world, yet forfeit his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? And so he he makes now a comparison about things and something more important. If you gain everything that this world has to offer, what worth is it if you lose your own soul? In Luke's gospel, it says, or lose your own self. And Jesus is now pointing to something that is deeper or more important of who you and I are than just what we maybe perceive. More than just our our bodies. He's talking about something else that goes on forever. 
and he's giving it an importance and a priority that I think sometimes we fail to give. One last passage in Luke 12.15, he said to them, Watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Our life doesn't consist just in what we have. There is more. And that's a good thing because the things that we have don't last. I remember when I bought my first car, new car. My first car wasn't much to talk about. I paid 600 bucks for it, but it ran. Sometimes I had to push it, but it ran. But our first new car, it, it was a Honda Accord, and it was in 1986. And Corrine and I had just had twins. You like how I say, we had twins, like I had some, you know. It was difficult. Whew. You know, we had twins, and we got a new car because all I had before was a truck and twins, Corrine and myself. I wasn't sure where she was going to fit, so, you know, we had to have more room. So we got the Honda Accord, and it was like, oh, this is great, the new car smell. But, you know, babies are messy. <laughs> Stuff doesn't stay in them. It, it, it comes out. And sometimes it, it comes out with velocity. <laughs> From both ends. <laughs> and it had that nice gray cloth interior, but pretty soon it had stuff on it. And, and you know, the formula, when it came out, it didn't smell that good if it would sit in the car for a while. And, and it, it wasn't very long before that new car smell wasn't there anymore. It was replaced by other odors that weren't as pleasant. And, and then stuff started getting caked on the seats and, you know, we had it cleaned and detailed, but it just was never the same. And things just don't last. We bought a home. And I fixed it up and, you know, painted the walls. But, you know, when you have kids, things happen. Sharpies. <laughs> and crayons. And all kinds of other stuff. There are stories that I, I could tell you about how they decorated our walls, but I won't go into too much detail it's constantly having to keep things up because the second law of thermodynamics comes into play with our lives. Everything is winding down. Our lives are slowing down. The plumbing is corroding. Things don't last. And what does it profit if you gain everything but you lose what lasts? And our life does not consist of the things that we have. And here he's talking again about a quality of life. Life being more than just from that first breath to our last breath, having something that's stronger and deeper in that. Have you ever gone to a museum and you're looking at art, but if you're like me, a very cultured individual, 
you don't know what you're looking at sometimes. You'll go there and you'll stand in front of a picture and you'll go, is that his nose? You know, and someone else will be there and they're kind of going, hmm. And you're like, okay, hmm, you know, what, what are we humming about? I, I don't get this. Oh, look at this artist, yeah. Monette, he's, he's very classy, you know. Someone will say, hey, excuse me, that's Monet. Go, oh, okay, Monet. Look at that baby's got a, a cute bonnet on its head, you know. I mean, it's a, I'm just not culture. I don't, I don't get this. I'm not sure what I'm, I'm supposed to be looking at. There's, if you're aware of art, then there's things you can look at. Oh, look at how he utilized these colors. And you're just like, what are you seeing that I don't see? Well, same is true with life. There, there's, there is more going on that we are able to capture and are able to see and are able to appreciate. There is value in each one of you that God sees, as the scripture says, you are his handiwork. You've been created in him as his image. You're his masterpiece. And you might look up at me and say, I just don't see it. But God does. And he sees value that is worth more than the things that you can possess, that's worth more than what you can obtain. Your soul is invaluable. Who you are. And that's what Jesus is trying to get at. He's trying to get to this place of depth of life, just a, a understanding. And we have to change our perspective you know, sociologists are trying to see why it is that some people, when they encounter difficult situations, rise up and challenge those situations and get better. And some people, when they hit those situations, they just crumble and fall apart. It can be the same situation, but some people have a perspective that sees beyond the situation and is able to get past it, while some people only see the circumstance and crumble to it. And our perspective in life is so important. What we see and how we perceive. And I think a lot of times because we are limited, we don't understand eternity. We see the limited and place too much emphasis on that. And what happens is we come to the end of our years, whatever those years might be, and death is like a wall that we cannot get through. It stands in front of us and it says, you are finite. You are frail. And this wall you cannot cross. And we come up to this place and we realize our humanity. And you see, what the resurrection does is it blows the lid off of that box. And Jesus says, you are more. And I need you to see it. And so that wall that we can't face or get through, he is broken through. The walls that we couldn't move, even as that one song said, came crashing down. 
the veil was torn so that we could have access to God and not be limited just by time. In 1 John chapter 3, it says, But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. There is that perspective. Someone has made a way for us. Someone has broken down the wall of our limitations and has been to the other side and says, there is more, I can prove it. I've been there and I'm telling you it's true. And now we have a hope that is bigger than our lives, a hope that is sure, a hope that is placed in someone, a hope that is found in Jesus. You know, waiting is the hard part though, isn't it? Having to understand and not be able to experience something, waiting and longing for for whatever that is, whether it's food at a restaurant when you're really hungry or more important things. I remember when my son went in to get his appendix taken out, they said, oh, it'll be, I forget, a couple hours, and then it'll be done. And then like three hours goes by, and your mind starts freaking out, like, what's going on? It was just his appendix. You know, is everything okay? And you're trying to find out, and everyone's saying, well, you know, we haven't heard anything. And I forget, but it was like twice as long as it was supposed to be, because my son's appendix wasn't where it was supposed to be. It was hidden somewhere else, you know figures, you know, kid, kids again. But that longing, that waiting is just the difficult thing as you just wait for the answer. I, I want to know, I want to know. And, and it's a difficult thing to wait. But our hope and our foundation is in the person of Jesus. Turn with me to Revelation chapter 5. We're going to cover a couple more things here. Revelation chapter 5, starting at verse 1, says, Then I saw the right hand of him who sat on the throne, a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. Now, a scroll in that time that had writing on both sides was a deed or a contract. What happened is the scroll would have, you know, a long papyrus would be rolled up and they would write whatever was on the inside. And as they would roll it up, then they would put what it was about on the outside. And so when they wrote something on the outside, it usually meant this was some kind of contract or a deed, maybe for property or uh, an endowment for marriage, something like that. And so this scroll represents the deed, essentially, for the earth. As we saw in the previous chapters, he's been talking about what is taking place with the nations. And so, and I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, 
the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seas. And it then says he saw him as a lamb that was slain. And he's speaking of Jesus. No one is worthy. No one can take back this deed. No one can redeem. And the idea, redeem means to buy back. No one can buy back you or me. None of us qualify. There is no man, no angel, nothing. And so John wept. What will happen? Who can buy us back? Who can redeem us? And the elder said, don't weep. There is one. There is one, the lion, the tribe of Judah, the offspring of David. He is able to. And you see, the resurrection is God's stamp of approval saying he is the one. We just read in Acts chapter 17 where Paul went into Athens and he said that he will judge the world and the proof that he can judge the world is that he has risen from the dead. That is the proof that he is the one. You see, if Jesus died, it means nothing. Jesus dying does not mean anything. Jesus conquering death means everything. Because the death would be of no value if it did not have power beyond death. To get past that wall, to buy us back, to redeem us. There is one. It is the Lamb who was slain. That is who is able to buy us back. And that's what Easter, the resurrection of Jesus is about it is about the validation of the one and again we could go into the evidences 500 people have seen him josephus a jewish historian writes about the resurrection who is not a christian so it's in history but the biggest evidence is in the lives of those who followed after him who have the hope in him Turn to Revelation chapter 21. This is a, a beautiful passage. You've probably heard it many times. Verse 1, it says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. Verse 4, it says, He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the older things has passed away. He who has seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. What an endearing verse, verse 4 is. 
that he'll wipe away every tear from their eyes. It has that, that personal touch quality as a parent, and I think of the times that I've had to wipe my children's tears away. Every tear. There will be no more sorrow. What an incredible hope. But you see, who can promise something like this? Who can promise that all the things that you've gone through, all the hurt that you experienced, all the difficulties that haunt your heart and mind, that have hounded your life, that have broken you down, that have maybe even broken your spirit, who can promise that they can take them away? Who can promise that there will be no more sorrow? Who can make this kind of promise? Jesus steps in and says, I can. I have bought you back. I have conquered death. I make that promise. Write it down because it's trustworthy. It is true. That is our hope. It's not that things one day are going to get better. It'd be nice. The economy's going to turn around. For how long? Nations rise. Nations fall. He is faithful forever. Our perspective. Are we nearsighted? Are we seeing only the things temporary and not hearing God speaking into eternity that I can wipe every tear away? I can turn your mourning into dancing. But God, you don't understand the pain. No, I do, and I can change it. I can make it new. There's only one who can open the scroll. There's only one who can buy you me back. There's only one who can make this promise. It is the one who has proved he is worthy by rising from the dead. Only one. That is our hope. And you know, all authority is given to me. This idea of power, this idea of authority. God, all this authority is yours. You have all this power. I want to see you do something. I want to see that power. But what did Jesus say in Matthew 5? The meek shall inherit the earth. Meek, we always think, means weak. At least I do, because who uses the word meek anymore? Anyone use the word meek or meekness lately? It's... Sounds like something a mouse would say. You know, I mean, what is meek? You know, it's like, I, I don't understand meek. But the idea of meekness is power controlled. A horse is always used as an example. A horse that is, you know, under the rider who is controlled by that rider. The horse has power, but it is controlled. You exhibit meekness when you come to a stop sign. Have you ever come to a stoplight, a red light, and there's no one around? And you kind of like, what am I stopping for, you know? And most of us, I think, stop. We don't say, ah, no one's around, just go through it. We stop because it's red, and you could go through it, you know, unless there's a policeman around or something, and that stops you, but you exhibit meekness by stopping. 
All authority is given to Jesus. But his power isn't being forced upon us. And it's changing us from the inside out. Do you realize that the Roman government was so affected by Christianity taking place in the individuals that persecution didn't stop it. And finally, they had to come to a recognition, these people are here to stay. The Roman Empire could not squelch it. Why? Did they have voting? Did they make an uprising? Did they have laws and propositions that are going to force the, the righteousness of God? No, it changed by individual lives submitting to God, having a perspective that was eternal, having a hope in the one who was able to buy them back. And by their lives, they changed the world. Powerful. Where is our hope? Where is our focus? Where is our perspective? Is it in God or is it in things? Is it in Jesus? Because there are a lot of good people. There are a lot of great teachings. There are a lot of beliefs. But there's one who can open the scroll. There's one who can buy us back. There is one who has conquered death. There is one who gives purpose and quality to life that does not end. That one is Jesus. And that's why we're here this morning, to celebrate the one, to magnify what he has done, to acknowledge him. Let's pray. Father, it's so easy for me to be blinded to eternal things. It's so easy for me to be focused on things that are temporary. And though I'm aware of eternity, Lord, it's easy for me to neglect the things that are eternal. And Lord, today is a reminder of eternity. Today is a reminder that there is more beyond our physical lives. Today is a reminder that you have been to the other side and have been victorious. It is a reminder that you have conquered death. And it's a reminder to us that you are able to buy us back, to redeem us. And in you is the promise for every tear and every sorrow being made new. The promise of turning our mourning into dancing. God, I want to dance. I never was good at it. I want to dance with my family. I want to sing with them. 
I want to rejoice. I want eternity to well up within our hearts and us to see clearly the things that last and to place our hope on a foundation that cannot be shaken, one that is victorious beyond the grave. I pray that our hope would be in you. I want to do something. I don't do this a lot, but I want to make an opportunity for you to recognize and acknowledge the one, Jesus. To recognize that there is an awareness that your life is more than what you're just living, but you have not tapped into it. And an understanding that Jesus is the one that connects you to life itself and to eternal life. That he is the one who is able to, to redeem you. And if you would like to acknowledge that in your life, I'd like to acknowledge it with you. I don't want to embarrass anyone. So if everyone could just be praying, have your heads bowed. If you would like to acknowledge that, raise your hand. I'd like to see and pray for you if you would like to acknowledge. God bless you. God bless you. Just say, I acknowledge that Jesus is the one I need. God bless you. God bless you. Father, you see these who have raised their hands to acknowledge the need for you. I pray you would meet them there, that you would redeem their hearts, their minds, that you would open their eyes to the eternal things, and that they would begin to invest, Father, in this spiritual life, this life that cannot be taken away, that is of more value than what we possess, this life that is to be lived in full. Fill them with your spirit. Redeem their lives, we pray. And I do ask these things. In Jesus' name, amen.